get the passage that I'm doing is the third part in the armor of God now. And it says Ephesians 6, 16 to 20. Okay, wonderful. Okay, next one. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you have extinguished all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplications for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Just in recapping, We have covered that there is a spiritual war and that it is visible with one's eyes, having been opened to either the attacks of the devil or by the actions of God, each team having a different warfare style, a war where we are not called to fight like the world or like the Roman gods, but to fight like Jesus to fight with the armor of our high priest. God's armor, an armor that is not a physical armor, but a spiritual armor, an armor that is rooted in the character of God. And he gives it to you so you can stand. Be encouraged that while you stand, there is no one that can pluck you from God's hands. Previously, we looked at the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the boots of peace, which are all fulfilled in Jesus. Not only a gift we receive, but a gift we are also called to give. Secondly, there is a received but not yet perfected component. The saved, but in the process of being saved, the work Christ has done, as opposed to the work we have to do. A heavenly versus a earthly perspective. So now, let's continue with putting on the whole armor of God so that we can stand God requires us to shield up. Next slide. In all circumstances, taking up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The first thing to examine here is the word faith in the context of shield of faith. Is it a blind faith? Something that you must simply just believe. Or is it a faith that has been tested and found to be trustworthy? 
An answer is given in Proverbs 30 verse 5, where it reads, Every word God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So, have you read the scriptures and verified that God does fulfill his words? His deeds are recorded in history. The evidence that will heal your unbelief is in scripture. If you are willing to verify it. I know it's true, but do you? The shield of faith takes a lifetime to wear in, to become like a second skin. God does not change, and he has us in his hands, but, you, but we are mere babies. We all need to learn to trust him. Why, you might ask? Because we face tribulation and hardship for our good. A hard pill to swallow. Sometimes these times generate huge stress in our lives. And it seems like it wants to break us. But if we endure, our faith is strengthened. And the fruits of these times will serve as fruits to help others. People who are walking the same path of hardship with us or after us. God wastes nothing when he conforms you into the image of his son. Knowing that God is the sovereign one, he will get you through to the other side. A trial that will be beneficial for us and for others. Remember when God took the nation he chose into the desert for 40 years? Why? So that they could learn to trust him. A lifetime of teaching to learn to trust. Relying only on those things God had given them. Manna, water, victories, walking through seas and rivers. The destruction of the Egyptian gods. Freedom just to open their eyes. Are you content with what God gives you? Do you always complain about your provisions? The thing is, when will you be content with what you have? Maybe after 40 years of grumbling? Perhaps. The nation that God chose displayed idolatry by wanting to change God into a God of their choosing, complaining about what they had received. What did they get? They got swallowed up by the earth. They got sick because of the rotten flesh of the birds, bitten by snakes, all because of the unfaithfulness they displayed. So listen and learn quickly. Are you listening? Hear me now. So far you have been focused on yourself. But what does God say? 
God does not say we need to walk this road alone. His advice is contrary to this because he gives us a church, a holy nation, a place where we build up each other in faith, love and hope. A family that he provides for you. You are a valued and irreplaceable part of the body. You are a, you are a, me <clears throat> a member that will help us get through these difficult times. If we would just lay down our pride and, and allow others to bless and help us. Embracing each other in love. If we would just work together under his lordship. Now both teams, God and the devil, have similar moves to deal dealing with fiery darts. The Roman gods used an interlocking tortoise formation. See the picture. And notice how each person is better protected because of the other people that surround them. Sinners that huddle together with like-minded individuals, huddling in the dark so their deeds will not be seen. The sons of disobedience protecting themselves with the lies of the devil. Next one. We are in a body too. A church, a body of believers that spreads the message of peace. Believers that are pleased when sin is revealed. Seeing it as an opportunity to remove the darts of the evil one. Helping each other maintain all the attributes of the armor of God. In spite of their differences. Differences that help address the needs of the body. Being good watchmen that extinguish the arrows of the evil one. God who knows what the body needs and he provides for it through each one of you. You have an important role to play and we need you and you need everyone else. We are all one in Christ, one in unity of faith, relying on God for us to live fulfilled lives for his glory. In this way, we extinguish the darts of sin using the word of God as an extinguisher. So we use the shield always. God has the power and we trust him to have the situation in his sovereign hands. You are weak and God is your strength. So again, trust him always. Which brings us to the next piece of the armor. And take up the helmet of salvation. You believe Jesus died for your sin? And by his actions you have been given life. And your sins have been washed away. In accepting this, you accept a calling to, to pay it forward. To help set other slaves free. 
A life that hears the word of God and does it. Actions that point to a spiritual reality of a saved life. However, the spiritual warfare we face has us dealing with doubt. Doubt that raises questions like, are you worthy? Are you really saved? Are you a child of God? Can your sins really be forgiven? The issue is we would all have liked to receive some kind of physical sign of our salvation. Be it the fireworks, a heavenly trumpet call, maybe shaking hands or getting a hug from God, but you didn't even get a heavenly certificate to, to confirm your adoption into God's family. So, how do you know you are saved? Look inside yourself. And what do you see? Don't you march to the beat of a new drummer? Is your conscience not on fire against all the previous ways of the devil? Those things that you used to embrace? Things like bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, and evil behavior. Things you have come to loathe. Jesus took away your sins because he is truth. If you are in Jesus, you will have victory over your sins. This does not mean that you will not be tempted, and it does not mean that you will never sin again. However, even when you do falter at times, with perhaps a long, lifelong struggle, the proverbial thorn in the flesh, you will, show, you will be shown mercy and grace to cover these sins. Be assured that the attacks of the devil will diminish and new areas will be opened up for you to master. Satan will cause you to doubt, be disheartened and distracted. However, stand firm on the promises of God and the hope you have in him. Get to know God's character and believe in his promises, trusting that you have his guarantee, the seal of your adoption into the heavenly family. Seek the kingdom of God. Read your Bible and put your trust in God. Then there is the aspect that you, <coughs> are, that you are saved, but in the process of being saved. What, you might be thinking, that is a contradiction, and you would be right. So let me explain the two perspectives that are needed for it not to be a contradiction. There is Jesus' part in your, your salvation, and then there is yours. Firstly, we were saved in the past by Jesus' death and his sacrifice of his blood on the cross. Blood that is payment for our sins. Blood that removed our sins. Blood that turns away God's wrath and judgment towards us. Simultaneously, we also are credited with, a, with the perfect life that Jesus led. God who sees the garments of Jesus that now covers us. 
the one that could pay for our sin, the spotless lamb and worthy sacrifice. Besides this, there is a second aspect that needs to be considered. There is a present physical reality, an action of love that we are to fulfill as adopted children of God. Unlike the thief on the cross, who was unable to move with very little time, but who is saved without displaying good works, we have much time to show our love towards God. We have time to display this new rebirth in Christ, a process of becoming holy, being sanctified. Yes, emulating our master, we are his because we live like he lived. We are saved because others see God living through us. Because God is the one that is conforming us into the image of his son. Our actions affirming our transformation are becoming more like God. A change which enables us to participate in the work of God. By being his words, hands and feet in this life. Evangel <clears throat> evangelizing to the lost because we know biblical doctrine and we use it well. Being able to use it to rectify and clarify the hope that is in you. So you can proclaim it to the world. Being able to show the love of God to others by renewing your mind in Christ Jesus. Where people cannot ignore the mammoth change in your character. Your character that emanates the trust you have in God and in his sovereignty over your life. The next piece of armor is the sword. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Even though the sword in the sentence refers to a Roman short sword that was used accurately to kill an opponent in close combat. The sword is part of the armor because it has a defensive ability to block blows. We, as priests, do not fight like the world with sword and spear, but with words of truth and love. Jesus used words to convict and to warn people of the impending judgment. He said to his, his brothers who were going to the festival and who did not believe he was the Messiah, the world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. We are to be like, like our high priest, allowing God's plan to unfold, and in his time, he will judge. God, who will slay the wicked or miraculously change them by giving them mercy and grace, according to his will and purpose. We are priests, not soldiers of this earthly war. Priests whose mouths are equipped with words of God to penetrate the hearts of the enemy. Priests who are spiritual soldiers fighting a spiritual war. Listen to Isaiah's words. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. You hear that the mouth 
is a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hands he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me away. You are an arrow and a sword. Where have we heard that one? Note who makes these weapons. God. The sword of God's word is effective when the Spirit of God empowers the words you use. Without the Spirit, God's words are offensive to non-believers. These perfect words of truth transform lives and overcome the schemes of the devil. Take note of the words Jesus uses when he is tempted in the desert. The devil makes the statement, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus' response, Man cannot live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is the quote from Deuteronomy 8.3. Jesus who used scripture to disarm Satan. Secondly, we can use scripture to identify the errors that Satan twists into the scriptures. Just like in the second temptation, when Satan used <coughs> Satan asked Jesus to jump off the tower so that the angel will save him and prove that he is the Son of God. Jesus responds, responds by saying, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. The true intention of the passage, a precise strike at the heart of Satan that causes him to flee. So, do we know the passage of Scripture and the context in which it is given? With preaching and teaching, it is always about context, context, context. As the last temptation, Satan took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world and their splendor. I will give you all of these, he said, if you fall at my feet and worship me. Jesus replied, Be gone, Satan, for Scripture says, You must worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. Knowing the root of the temptation was to sell one's soul for glory in this life as opposed to the glory in the life to come. Are you tempted to sell your soul in this life? When the sword, then the sword, the word of God, also has the ability to attack and to break through the armor of the devil's team. Jesus who pointed out people's true sins and directed them to saving faith. A working on people's hearts, enabling them to know the, the Bible and to live it. A testimony of an indestructible life. But where do you start? In Sunday school, we would often have sword drills. When the children would get a sweet, if they were the first to go to the verse and to start reading. An exercise in training to memorize where to find the books of the Bible. A start to learning the Bible, but a necessary step. How are your evangelism skills? How well do you know your Bible to debate it? You might say we feel uncomf uncomfortable with that kind of forceful proselytization technique. 
it is amazing how quickly we take hold of the negative term and twist it. Fearing and pleasing man is the sin at the heart of this thinking. Rephrasing it so that we do not have to do it. Remember, all the prophets as well as Jesus used evangelism to communicate God's words. Jesus asked Peter to feed his sheep a calling we all have. A feeding that uses God's word as food for believers' souls. Believers that potentially you might not classify as believers, but whose life God is already working on. Evangelism, evangelism which is baby food for God's work. So, why don't you look at the term proselytization from God's eyes? Eyes that see communicating the justice, holiness, love and grace of Jesus as love towards others? Or are you like the servant of the parable of the gold coin? Knowing that he had to use the gold coin he received to make a gain on the investment for his king, but chose to bury it, to keep it safe, not doing what his king expected, hiding all he had been given, waiting for his king to return. The coin is the gifts God has given you, gifts to do his work. Do you hide your gifts, your smile, joyful outlook, interesting stories, generosity, mercy, money, skills? Do you lock them up in a safe that nobody can see or hear about it? Gifts that are to be used in conjunction with accreditation from where they came. Acknowledging God, the giver of these gifts. How do you fish for men without Jesus? Are you not able to show love towards others? Are you not able to sacrifice five minutes to share the good news? We know what, what Christ will say when we have not used our gifts, when we have not fed his sheep, when we have not used his sword of his words. He will say, you wicked and lazy servant, something that you or I do not want to hear. So put on the belt of truth. See things for what they are. Get to know his words and to use them with precision. Get in the fight. A sword is a dual-purpose weapon. We have spoken about the attack and the, defense and the defense capabilities, and both are required in a fight. A pairing with truth and lies, love and hate, God and the devil. You can almost see words going back and forth, dismantling the armor of lies and deception that Satan and his team use, remembering that the gates of hell will not prevail. God's word, imbued by the Holy Spirit, does not come back void. 
So use it and see what happens. Note, in the passage, who is asking for prayer and why? If Paul the Apostle prayed that he would be able to open his mouth boldly, take comfort in that. You are not alone battling to evangelize. We are all in that boat. Which brings us to prayer. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. And also for me, the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Three times it speaks about words spoken. Not idle words, not small talk, but specific words. Words proclaiming the mystery of the gospel. So take note. I will not skim over, <clears throat> I will only skim over prayer, as this has already been covered in depth during the sermon on Philippians 4, 6 and 7, titled The Armour of Prayer. A quick reminder though, prayer allows us to focus on God, focus that enables us to live our lives quorum Deo, in the face of God. God sees us and allows us to stand by his might. God calls us to speak to him in every situation, asking for his help for us and for others, not necessarily taking <coughs> us out of our current situation, but allowing us to see the opportunities and blessings in our midst, speaking boldly the mystery of the gospel to whomever will hear. Ask God for help, just like Paul did. Praying that you can give the message of how God changed your life, how you became a new creation. You know how you, you, know how you have been changed, so now you too must tell of your victory over sin and death as a sign pointing to Christ, our victorious King. Just like the story of the Old Testament that opened, <coughs> sorry, that pointed to Jesus, the Messiah, you too must give your testimony, which points to Jesus and the hope you have in what he has done. In summary, Paul talks about us being of one body, having one spirit, through one Lord, by one faith, through one baptism, having one God. This oneness is about building up each other. Think about it. How are we built up using the armor of God? Being watered fed and matured in each other. Your faith is matured being part of a church. 
Your knowledge of the word of God grows. Your understanding of truth is matured along with your insight into, wisdom, into the wisdom of God and blind spots revealed by fellow members. You are encouraged to speak boldly and to pray all types of prayers for, for others to be blessed. Prayer that demands for you to be in church. Like <coughs> to know what the needs of people are. Church enables you to be a watchman to quench the darts of the evil one. That you can build up their faith and to show them how to live righteously and walk with the gospel of peace on their feet. So now what? I have touched on a number of points that you can work on. You and I are like sheep sent out amongst wolves. The war we fight is dying to sin and maybe even dying because of sins of others. We are sheep and we are called to lay down the comforts of this life to do the work of Jesus the Lamb who was slain. You might be viewed as a fool in this life because you fight your war with priestly garments on, like a lamb, trusting in the power of God to equip your heralding shouts of joy, to transform the souls of the lost along this narrow and fleeting path of life. You are able to stand because you wear the full armor of God on, the full armor of the character of God. Imagine imagining the one you love and follow. You are a light on a hill and the eyes of the world are watching you. So I want to leave you with a story from the Old Testament. One that we can ponder on because it displays everything that we have spoken about. One that opens your eyes to standing firm and seeing God at work. The story of Elisha in 2 Kings 6. I'm just going to start with paraphrasing the story. The king of the Arameans was at war with Israel. Elisha, who was a prophet in Israel, would warn the king of Israel so that Israel's army was prepared for the Aramean army. This frustrated the king of the Arameans, causing him to investigate where the information of the army's movements was being leaked. He was told that Elisha the prophet knew the very words spoken in his bedchamber, words that would be given to the king of Israel. This turned Elisha into a vulnerability that needed to be removed. The king of the the king of Aram then sends an entire army to surround the city of Doshan, where Elisha was. Now, now that you have context, I'm going to read the text. When the servant, sorry, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Elisha said, Do not be afraid. 
for those that are with us are more than those that are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened his eyes and the young man and he saw and behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And then the Syrians came down against him. Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened the eyes and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them? My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? Elisha answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with sword and with bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he, he sent them away. And they went to their master, and the Syrians did not come again on raids into Israel, into the land of Israel. Okay, I'm going to just leave that on the overhead and give you about three minutes just to read through it and to ponder it in light of the armor of God. Let's really just close in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the riches of the words you have given us. We thank you that we can really ponder it in our heart, that we, there's so much for us to do. And I pray that you'll be with us, that we'll be able to take some things that we'll carry not only through the next week, but that we'll actually put it into our hearts and carry it with us always, that we can see you for who you are and the work that you have for us. And I pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.